Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch. great new series we're kicking off today called Encounter. And uh, if you've ever read the Bible, I do realize everybody in here, we're at different places in, in our reading of the Bible. Some of you have been following Jesus a long time. You've read the Bible many times. Others of us, we are just starting to read the Bible, just starting to see the stories that are in there. But if you've ever read the Bible, you've ever read some of those stories, you've heard some of those stories, you'll discover this, that people have amazing encounters with God that change their lives. You ever notice that? I mean, they're just crazy things happen to people. And like waters part and other people walk on water and other people have burning bushes and donkeys talk to them. I mean, just amazing stuff. And I think there's a question that many of us ask, we just may not always want to admit to, but we wonder, can I have that? Come on, anybody with me? You kind of read those stories and think, can I, can I have that? And I was one of those people that thought maybe I can just have that. And so when I was in college, this was when like my spiritual life really began to flourish and I was really reading the word and seeking God and just saying, okay, God, what do you want to do in my life? And so as I started reading these stories and like Moses and the burning bush and, you know, all these other things, I'm like, man, I want that. Like, God, do you still do that stuff today? So I'm going to tell you some stories about me as long as you promise not to laugh. You're not going to laugh at me? I said this last service. You know, the one person who laughed at me was my wife. I'm not kidding. I got witnesses. All right, anyway, so, so I went to college in the mountains of North Carolina, so I would do things like get my Bible and, and some water in a book bag and, and go hiking out on the Blue Ridge Parkway and up some little mountains because I kind of had this idea, if I can get up on top of a rock where I'm the highest thing around, maybe I can meet with God, right? Like something will happen. And so I'd go up and I'd just like sit there and nothing would happen. And so then there were some other times I did this thing where one time I went hiking through this, this little wilderness and I was hiking through this trail and I just stopped at one point and I looked at this rhododendron bush and said, okay, God, do your thing. <laughs> burn, just burn. It didn't burn. And then there was this time I was sitting in my dorm room and I just put a chair in front of me and just sat there and looking at this empty chair and said, okay, Jesus, show up. Because God showed up in like human form. Like in the Bible. And I'm just asking God to do things that he's done before. I'm not, I'm not even asking for like a new trick. Like, okay, God, you don't have to be original. You can repeat yourself. I do reruns. I'm good with that. Come on, just show up and do something you've done before. And the only thing I really learned from this is I am impatient and I don't stick around long enough because, you know, how long are you going to stare at an empty chair before you figure out nothing's happening? So I just kind of moved on. And, but I haven't moved on from the idea that I think God still wants to do amazing things in people's lives today. I think many of us want to have an encounter. But the first question we need to ask is, okay, if we were to all say, yes, I'd love to have an encounter with God, what does that mean? I mean, for one person, it was a burning bush. For somebody else, it was walking on water. For somebody else, their donkey talked to them. And, and, and for, you know, I mean, we could just keep doing this all day long. The stories are so many. So if you say, I want an encounter with God, do you even know what that would look like? What, what do you want? If you go to work tomorrow and you try to explain to a coworker who doesn't go to church, like, yes, I'm really seeking an encounter with God, they're going to be like, huh? So I thought we should put together some sort of working definition, some, some terminology we can hold on to for these three weeks. And here's kind of what I came up with. Let's see what you think of this. 
I think for us to say this, an encounter is a unique experience with God, good so far, a unique experience with God that is likely to be a turning point, at the very least a marker in our lives. Okay, so there we go. A unique experience with God that is likely to be a turning point, at the very least it's a marker. And if we were to look at all the stories in the Bible, all the encounters these people had, they were either turning points where somebody certainly is like, okay, I got to change what I'm doing and change where I'm headed and all that sort of stuff. Or it was at least a marker where they could look back on it and go, that was a place where something significant happened in my life with God. And so that's what we're after. But as I was preparing the message this week, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, you know, Jimmy, not everybody wants an encounter. Not everybody wants an encounter. That's why I didn't ask you to raise your hands for that one. Because the truth is, some of us also know the stories in the Bible where people had encounters with God that didn't go so well. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There were people who looked the wrong way and got turned into a pillar of salt, right? There were just things that happened to people. There were people who reached out their hand to touch something and God struck them dead. Now I realize this is not exactly making my case for you wanting an encounter with God here, but, but just follow this. Because they're not all like that. So we're going to move back to the positive ones. I think what we're after sometimes is we're afraid of God because we don't know Him. So we're afraid to have an encounter with Him. The idea of getting up close and personal with the God of the Bible could be just a little bit scary. And so maybe the other issue is actually we're more afraid that God knows who we really are. And we're thinking, if I have an encounter with God after the kind of things that I said this week or did this week or thought this week, Surely I'll be one of those stories where he strikes them dead. And so what do we hope to do over this series? A couple of things. First of all, to bring us to a place where everybody in this room is hungry for a unique experience with God that becomes a marker in your life. Right? Cool. The second one is that we can get rid of and remove any fears, either because we can grow to understand who God is, or we can learn how to deal with some of the issues in our life, as well as understand how much God loves us. And that, that our performance is not the only thing that will determine how that encounter goes. It's the grace of God. That'll be cool, right? And so then ultimately, to set us up for an encounter. If God wants to have an encounter with us and we want to have an encounter with him, is there anything that we need to do to prepare for that? So that is what we're doing today in the next two weeks prior to Easter. And that's where we're headed. So we're going to look at a guy named Jacob because Jacob's fun. Jacob's one of these guys who's had a lot of encounters, and so we've gotten to talk about him a lot. If you've been a part of Grace Life for uh, about a year now, then you remember we did a series about a year ago last May called Wrestle, where we talked about an encounter that Jacob had. I didn't know exactly how they would flow together, but as I was doing that series, God spoke to me this series and showed me this, and I said, man, I got to do that, but you know how we are, we're about a year out with everything, and so here we are, finally getting to talk about this second encounter. For those of you that do not know who Jacob is, I just want to give you the backstory. I want, to, I want to make sure we all kind of understand what's going on. There was a guy named Jacob who had a twin brother, Esau. They were born together. They did exactly what you would think brothers do, which is a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of fighting, shooting each other with Nerf guns, you know, chasing each other around the house, mama yelling, don't do that in the house, you know, stop bouncing balls in the house as they're throwing balls at each other. Are y'all just not going, y'all going to act that way today? They didn't have Nerf guns back then. Y'all supposed to laugh somewhere along the way here, just so y'all know. Okay, I see how it's going to be. So at some point, of course, they fight and they, they don't always get along. And so Jacob was actually a deceiver. Funny thing, his name means deceiver. He lived up to his title. And so one of the things that Jacob did is he had tricked Esau out of his birthright for simply a bowl of lentil soup. 
And then Jacob had swindled uh, Esau out of a blessing by tricking his father when his father prayed over him. And so we get to this point where Jacob figures out Esau wants to kill him. Now, anybody in here has got a sibling, at some point you've said, I want to kill him. But no, this was for real. Like Esau was going to kill him. And his mother found out about it. And Jacob, Jacob, his mom liked him like the mother's favorite kind of thing. And so she tells him, and Jacob's like, I've got to get out of here. And by the way, I need a wife. So she says, and his father's like, here's what you need to do. You need to go back to your mother's land, back to our family, and choose a, a wife that is going to be from our family, from, from our people, a godly woman. That, that's what you need to go get. You need to get, go get someone who's going to be like us. Now, if you've ever read the story... This sounds like a guy that's about 20 years old, right? Two 20-year-olds mad at each other, and one of them needs to take off running and go get a wife. But it turns out that Jacob is 77 years old at this point in the story. Did y'all know that? So come on, single people. Can I just, let me just borrow this row right here. We're just going to talk to this row right here for a minute. Any teenagers and single people in the room who seem to have had a magnetic population shift? Here's what you need to understand. This was not a failure to launch, okay? As we look at why we have a 77-year-old boy living at home with his mama single, right? It was not a failure to launch. It was not the fact that he was a loser and no girls liked him. We need to understand the, the context a little bit better. So here's what's actually going on. Because his brother Esau has actually already gotten married and already gotten married again multiple times. He decided one wife wasn't enough. And his wives are actually causing a lot of trouble to the family. And here's the reason. Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, used to be from somewhere else. It's modern-day Iraq. And God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to give it to you. And so Abraham moves, and he comes here, and then God gives him a son, Isaac, who is Jacob's father, and then ultimately ends up with a grandson, Jacob. And, but when Abraham came to this land, and now Isaac is in the land, and now Jacob is living in the land, what you need to understand, we know it as modern-day Israel, but it wasn't Israel then. And there were no Israelites and no Jews living around them. So what that meant is that all of the people around Jacob were ungodly people. And they had other gods. And some of those gods were so extreme that people would sacrifice their children to those gods. And so Esau said, look, I just want a woman. I don't care. And went out and got wives. But Jacob, I think Jacob knew. Now, this isn't in the story, but I think Jacob knew that there was something for him. Something in his destiny. And I think it came because of the fact that God had already told his grandfather that he was going to do something through their family line. And he had told his father he's going to do something through his family line. And so as his father looks around at these two, he can figure out what's going on because Esau keeps breaking all the rules and throwing away his birthright and everything else. And then the blessing gets switched. And it's real obvious, like, Jacob, if you want what is, has been promised to us, somebody's got to do this thing right. Now, that part's not in the story, but you can just kind of infer it from the way everything goes down. And so Jacob remains single because he's waiting on what's right. He's waiting on what's godly. And he's waiting on what's good. And so if you are single and not yet 77, you are in good company. And you can stop whining. At about 76, you can start whining. So at 77, in order to find a wife and run from his brother. Y'all just, I mean, like, I got to run from my brother and catch up. It's like a country song. There's got to be a country song in running from your brother and trying to find a wife. All right, anyway, so he's 77 years old. And he goes on this journey from what is modern-day Israel up to a place called Paddan Aram, and that's, that's where he's going to go. And that's where his mom is from, and that's where that family is. So he gets there pretty quickly. He finds this beautiful girl named Rachel, and he says, I'd like to marry her. And the father says, okay, work for me for seven years. So after seven years now, he's 84 years old. 
And on the wedding night, he discovers that his should-be, would-be sister-in-law, he's been tricked. What he's done to everybody else has finally been done to him. And the next morning, he wakes up and figures out his would-be sister-in-law is actually his wife. Now, we could do an, an entirely different message series on why that wedding night should have gone differently. <laughs> this should not have been a next morning kind of surprise, but we don't have time for that. So... Jacob says, I want the correct wife. And he says, okay, well, you can have Rachel too. You're just going to have to keep working. So he does. He keeps working. At some point, though, he's like, I've paid for my wives and I've paid for, you know, the, the livestock I've got and everything else. I'm ready to go home. Jacob is now 97 years old as he begins his journey to return home. But he's not going to get there until he's 120. Now, keep in mind, it didn't take him that long to get there. So it's not because it's that far. It's going to take him 23 years to get home because he now has two wives and 11 kids and a ton of stuff, flocks and herds. And, and the kids, some of them have kids, and, and it's just all spread out. And along the way, he's even going to have another kid, and he's going to have a wife die along the way. This is a very big journey, and a lot is happening over these 23 years. And so the reason that he would have to kind of just like stop and, and take so long to go is he'd have to stop and set up camp for a while, literally just set up shop and be there for a while. Because it's really kind of hard to just like move an entire nation straight through everything else without people noticing. So if you want to feed your animals and get water and take care of your, your babies being born and everything else, he would have to move and, and then set up shop for some time. And then move again and set up shop for some time. And the journey took 23 years. So we're going to pick up right there. It's Genesis chapter 35. And as he's on this 23-year journey home, God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And I just want us to stop for a moment and talk about those words dwell there because I think there's something that we especially can get from this. We're near a military base. I think our church is about 40% military, which means people are every two to three years constantly going on to somewhere else. We're near a college. We've got a lot of, of young single people who are students in their lives. And so a lot of us have this mentality of, I'm not really from here. I don't really belong here. I'm just transient. I'm just passing through. And then there are those of us that we don't actually think we're moving anytime soon, but we somehow still think we're transient. We're, we see our life as a transient season. Like, I can't wait to get that promotion. Then I'll be who I want to be. I can't wait to get out of, of, of college or to get through this course or to get a job. Then I'll be who I want to be. I can't wait to get married. Then I'll be who I want to be. I can't wait till we have a child. Then I'll be who I want to be. I can't wait till we get our first house. Then we can be who we want to be. We've got this idea that we're always transient. We're always belonging somewhere else. But here's what God says to Jacob. Dwell there. Even though it's not where you're aiming for. Even though it's not where you're headed, but dwell there. And I think there's something very important we all need to learn from the military to those of you that are just looking for your next great stepping stone. Wherever you are is where God's going to meet you. And one of the mistakes we make is we miss out on life because we're always looking for a future. And I believe in a future, and I believe God's got something for your future, but you do realize that that's just where you are today. Today is yesterday's future. At some point, you've got to dwell there and embrace what God is doing. So wherever you are, set up life, work, exist, find a church family, be a part of a spiritual family. Don't just say, oh, I'm not, I just visit church here every Sunday for four years while I'm in college. No, then that means this is your spiritual family for four years. 
Commit to it. Be in community. Get into a life group. Be involved. Serve. Do something. Don't just say, I I don't really exist here. I'm just passing through. Because if you're military and you do that every two to three years, well, this is not our home. We're just passing through. It's not our home. We're just passing through. You're going to do what Jacob did. You're going to have a 23-year journey before you retire, before you finally figure out life has passed you by. Because here's what has happened. The most significant things that God did in Jacob's life, the Wrestle series that we talked about, the Encounter series we're going to look at for the next three weeks, they all happened on that 23-year journey. His favorite son, and you can be mad at him for having one, but he had one. His favorite son was born on the 23-year journey. His favorite wife, and you can be mad at him if you want to, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. His favorite wife died on the journey. This 23 years was not just a journey to, to say, I don't care about it, I can't wait to get where I'm going. God did amazing things along the way. So wherever you are, whatever God is doing, however long you are there, dwell there. Dwell in your singleness. Dwell in your, your position. Dwell in your school years. Dwell wherever God has you and see what God wants to do. So God spoke to Jacob. Here's what Jacob did. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Now, at this point, Jacob knows he's had some encounters with God. He knows what's about to go down. He knows he's going to meet with God again. And so he has a few instructions for his family about how to prepare for that encounter. This is what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. So we're not going to spend any more time on that part. What we're going to do is move on because for today, our goal is to look at why should we want an encounter? And if we have an encounter, what are we going to get from God? And so we're going to really just focus on one thing at the moment, which is why? Does God tell him to go back to Bethel? What is the whole point of going back to Bethel? Well, if you follow the story at the beginning, Jacob is on a journey of a U-turn. He grew up somewhere, and he goes to his mama's people to get a wife, and now he's headed back. And so along the way, he actually had stopped off in Bethel and spent the night. And when he was there the first time, he had a dream, and God spoke to him. And God said some things, and then Jacob said some things. And so God is saying, let's go back. Let's finish this conversation. So we're going to just flip back. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. If not, it's just going to, we're going to do like a, a flashback here real quick to Genesis 28. So as he's having that dream, it's in verse 13 of that chapter, and he's having that dream, here's what God says to him. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And he stops. Now, how many of us are used to hearing one more name in there? The God of Abraham and Isaac, and there's one more name, but that name doesn't Go there just yet. It says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob did something that many of us follow as an example. We say, if Jacob could do it, I could do it. And catch what Jacob did. He made a vow saying, if. Y'all need to think about that for a second. Jacob made a vow that started with, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. 
so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then, if, then, the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Look at that. We can't get away from that. We just talked about that for a whole week last week. And the only thing I'm going to say is that this is where this kind of begins. This, but Not the first time, but this is just one of the other times we see in Scripture long before God gave the law, long before it's a rule. God said, honor me. And look at this. God's not even asking for it. People are saying, if you're actually going to be my God and be good to me, then I owe you honor. And they made up the number. I'm really glad they didn't make up 50%, by the way. That was a pretty cool thing. They... So here's what I want us to understand what's happening right here. Jacob gets away with saying, if, then... And some of us still try to do that today, and I want to propose to you, I think that's a very dangerous game that we maybe shouldn't play. So let's go back to what we learned about Jacob a minute ago, why Jacob never got married. Jacob is surrounded by all these foreign gods. Everyone outside of his his household believes in all these other gods with all these other names. You know, on a rainy day, their people would bow down to that god, and on a dry day, their people would bow down to that god, and, and, and then every now and then they may sacrifice something to that god or a child to that god. But Jacob's dad keeps saying, but our God. And so Jacob lives in a world where, you know, he goes to school and on the playground, people are picking on him like, well, our God's better than your God. Really? Well, I don't even know. Maybe, you know, maybe your God is better than my God. My God hadn't done much lately. I don't know. I'm not even my God. It's just my dad's God. Get off my back, man. You know, so he's got this at home, this God that his grandfather and father says is God that nobody else has ever met. You understand that? And then he goes, goes out of the, his house and all of the people around him, everywhere they live, all these people have all these other gods. And so Jacob is in this position of kind of like, who's my God? I mean, I could follow my granddad and my dad, but so far, like, that's, there's not much between me and that guy, if that guy's real. And I see all these other people worshiping all these other gods, so, you know, kind of, I, I, like, I, I don't know who God is. I don't know who he is. I don't know if their God is God or their God is God or their God is God. And so, so Jacob is not acting very godly and deceiving and lying and gets his brother to want to kill him, so he goes on the run. He's on the lamb trying to find a woman. There you go, definitely country song in there, right? And, and he gets to this point at Bethel where he's, he's down to sleep, and, and so God shows up and says, this is who I am. I'm the God that revealed himself to your grandfather Abraham, and I'm the God who revealed himself to your father Isaac, and here's what I'm going to do for you. And so Jacob has this moment. Jacob's like, light bulb, here's what's going to happen. All right, deal. If... If you really are God, if you really can be that powerful, if you really can bless me, if you really can do the things that you say you're going to do, then you'll be my God. The dare is on. Let's do it. And so God has been faithful to all of that, and God is bringing him back to that place to say, I did what I said, now let's see what you're going to do about it. The dangerous position for you and me is when we copy Jacob's example like now in 2017. Follow this. God created the world. You guys good with that part? Then God created mankind. Good with that part? Then we have the first problem, and that is those people don't know God. So God has to begin to reveal himself to mankind. And that's where we get some of these stories like the burning bush and all these other things that happen because God was revealing himself to people. This is who I am, introducing himself by names at different times and, and, and things like that. And so Jacob truly did not know who God was, but you and I, we have the full revelation of God. We know who God is today. We have all of God's revelation in front of us. 
And it's an incredibly dangerous position for you and me to look at God and say, God, I'm going to doubt everything that's ever been written about you by yourself. I'm going to doubt everything that any godly person ever told me about you. And you and I, we're at ground zero. So if you will prove yourself to me, then I might let you be my God. It worked for Jacob because Jacob was still in the beginning of revelation of human history. It probably doesn't work for you and me. I meet many people who have given God an if-then, and it turns out God's not willing to play that game very much anymore because God has revealed himself, and we do know who he is, and we can trust his word, and that's what God has done for us at this point. So God calls him back to Bethel. God meets with him there, and here's what God says. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. This is the encounter. Jacob has met with God. Jacob has heard from God. What I want us to see today are the things that we are likely to experience in an encounter. If we seek an encounter with God, what did God do when he met with Jacob? And what can you and I hope for? Now, I'm going to show you today that what I think we're looking at is really just a pattern. It's some things that God tends to do, some things that God can choose from. I'm not going to promise you that God will do in every encounter every single thing on this list. We're going to look at four things that God did with Jacob. And these four things, I believe you will, you will have at least one of them show up in any, any encounter you have with God. You might get two of them. You might get three. You could get four. Who knows? Because, again, this is just a pattern. But let's look at what tends to happen when God has an encounter with his people. The first one is that God's identity for us is defined. God's identity for us is defined. He showed up and said, you are no longer Jacob, but Israel. You see, here's the deal. Jacob means deceiver, and Israel means wrestles with God. We talked about this in the wrestle series because now Jacob has wrestled with God and has become blessed by God because he wrestled with God and prevailed. And as a result, Jacob no longer is Jacob. He doesn't have to get stuff by stealing and swindling and deceiving. He gets stuff because he's blessed Because he's wrestled with God and prevailed. Israel means wrestled with God. And God says, you are no longer going to be the swindler. You're going to be the one who has wrestled with me and prevailed. You will be the father of nations. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would love to have an incredible identity in the kingdom of God? How many of you would love for God to show up and say, this is who you are. This is what you're called to be. All right. Don't raise your hand for this. How many of you are frustrated? You feel like you just don't know what that is or God's never given it to you. And I'm going to propose to you that there is a disconnect that we need to pursue. The disconnect all too often is that we don't recognize God has said you'll no longer be Jacob, but Israel was representing a transformation that had taken place in Jacob's life. And sometimes we don't get that new identity because there's been no transformation. We are the same person today that we were the day we met Jesus or before. We hang out with the same people. We do the same things. We talk the same way. We forgive the same amount or less. We give the same amount. We love the same amount. Nothing has changed in us. We're not transformed. 
But we want God to show up like magic and say, hey, this is who you are now. No. It comes with a pursuit of Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm supposed to be like you. I want to be like you. And so we begin to read his word, not because we have to, because we want to become more like him. We want to be changed. We want to be a different person. And so somewhere along the way, 20 years after following, I mean, 20 years ago, think about this. 20 years ago, he was lying. He was swindling. He was running from his brother. Now he has met his brother. They haven't killed each other. He's wrestled with God. He's having another encounter with God. And God says, your identity is not what it used to be because you've changed. If you want an identity that is powerful in the kingdom of God, then start with a transformation in your heart. Say, Jesus, make me more like you. And every day get up and say, Jesus, make me more like you. God, how today can I be more like you? The second thing we tend to see in an encounter is that God confirms his words. Whatever God has been speaking to us, God's words to us are confirmed. You see, here's what you will find out if, if you've ever read any of Jacob's story. This is not the first time that God says, you will no longer be Jacob but Israel. This is actually the second time that he's come to him and said that. And I think it's important for us to understand that we can trust God to confirm important things in our lives. I meet people all the time who are talking to me saying, oh man, you know, I just don't know if, if God's speaking to me. I know God said something, but I don't know if that's really God or not. Well, God will confirm it. Just ask God to confirm it. Haven't you ever been in this situation where you kind of like were reading your Bible and you feel like God put something on your heart? Like God said something, but you're not sure. Is that really God or is that me? Am I making that up? right? And so then you're having lunch with somebody two days later and they say the exact same thing as you're talking about something God wants for your life. And you're like, whoa, that's freaky. Like, I thought God said that. Now you just said that. Yeah, God confirms his words to us. And if you didn't listen that time, have you ever noticed a week later you're having coffee with somebody and they say it again? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like, God's like, how many times I got to confirm this for you guys? Come on. I'm speaking to you. God speaks to his people. The third one, God's purpose for us is revealed. This is a really awesome part. You see, what happens at this point is Jacob becomes an heir to the promise. The promise had been to his grandfather, Abraham. Abraham, pack up, leave from here. I'm gonna give you a land. I'm gonna give you a family. Your descendants are gonna be more numerous than the stars, more numerous than the sand. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But I want y'all to think about something. That was God's promise to Abraham. Have you ever noticed they're not called the Abrahamites? Have you ever noticed they don't live in the land of Abraham? Jacob became the heir to the promise. Jacob became everything that was spoken for two generations. This will be fulfilled in you. And finally, I will not be the God of Abraham and Isaac. I will be the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and it wouldn't go on from there. It stopped there. And for millennia since then, we've referred to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't say the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. And we, don't, we don't do that because God said, my purpose is fulfilled right here with you. The promise is fulfilled with you. You will be Israel and it will be you. My people will be known by you. They will be Israelites. They will live in Israel. It is because of you. My promise is fulfilling. This is your purpose. I've brought you to this point for this purpose. He's well over 97 years old and he's just figuring out what it's all about. So if you're young in this room today, don't get caught up on thinking you got to know it by 21, 18, 25, whatever number the world has put into your head. 
Now, the most important thing is have an encounter with God and get it. The number doesn't matter, right? This is a purpose. And it's funny, from time on out, most of the time when you read Scripture, God will refer to himself as, I am the God of Israel. This is his purpose. Now, I told you, you may not get everything. You may not get everything in every encounter. And so some of those may happen. You may get one of them. You may not get the other. But the fourth one, before I put it up, I'm going to tell you the fourth one is what I think it's all about. I know we would love to get a new identity. I know we'd be excited to know what our purpose is and to feel like that's just, you know, something special from God. And that would be great. But the fourth one is the one that I can promise you. Any encounter with God, you will get the fourth one. And the fourth one is the one that's most important. And that is this. Our knowledge and understanding of God increases. If you have an encounter with God and the only thing you get is a new name, you've missed it. If you have an encounter with God and the only thing that you get is to find out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, you've missed it. The number one thing anybody wants to take away from an encounter is God himself. And did you catch what we've been saying? I emphasized that I was reading it. God began by telling him, I want you to go to Bethel and make an altar to the God you met before. And Jacob then tells his family, we're going to go to Bethel and we're going to meet with the God who has saved me so far. But now in this encounter, God doesn't say, I'm the God. No, God says, I am God Almighty. Here's the problem for us. We're reading it in English and we don't get it because we're just reading words that have been translated. That actually was a name that means God Almighty. So if we could back it up, here's what God did. He said, you're no longer Jacob. You're Israel, and I am El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. I'm not the God who just shows up on occasion. Matter of fact, I'm not the God at all. I'm the only God. I'm the one true God. I'd like you to refer to me as El Shaddai, which, by the way, means I'm almighty and powerful. I can do everything I said I would do. I've always done everything I would said I would do. Have you noticed that yet? Now, what are you going to do about it, Jacob? I am El Shaddai. You are Israel. Let's get this show on the road. That's an encounter with God right there. That's what God is after. I don't think encounters with God should be as rare as they seem. I know we read our Bible and it looks like you might get one in a lifetime at best. Matter of fact, if you read your Bible, you might be inclined to believe you get one in a lifetime at best if you're special. I don't think that that's truly what God wants for his people. I just think that's what we have written to us in Scripture. Because we can't have all of human history in one book you couldn't carry at the church. No, I think God wants to meet with his people more often. I think God wants to talk to his people more often. And there's actually a, a promise that God has. It won't be on the screen, but it comes out of James and it says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, here's what you need to know. God does not play hide and seek, but he does play seek. Draw near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I believe God wants to have encounters with us way more often. Sometimes we're having an encounter, we don't even notice it. I mean, we, we did the story where Jacob was wrestling with God. He wrestled with God. It wasn't until the morning he figured out God was the one he was wrestling with. And Jacob was already sleeping in a place where he had a dream and he figured out, oh my gosh, I must have fallen asleep in God's house. God's here. Sometimes we don't see what's happening. And most often the encounters that we have with God, when we look back at our lives, what we see is that our greatest points of struggle 
The moments where we felt God was furthest from us, we actually had one of our greatest encounters with God. I don't think I've ever had anybody come to me and say, hey, I just won the lottery and had a great encounter with God. No, it's at that time where you were saying, God, are you good? God, are you faithful? God, are you true to your word? God, do you even know I'm here? That we look back and we've discovered the most about who God is and who we are and what God's doing in our life that brought us through that place. We look back and we find the markers usually only after the fact. That's why Jacob was always the next day going, oh, guess I better set up a marker here. Called it an altar. Here's what I believe. God wants to meet with his people. God wants to speak to his people. I believe God has an encounter waiting for you. He has an encounter waiting for us. That's why we're talking about this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want to close by helping some of you have the first encounter that you maybe have ever or ever will have with God. For someone who's been following Jesus for a long time, they'd look back and say, well, my first encounter was when I recognized Jesus died for me. You see, nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to happen until you become a child of God, until you recognize that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for humans. We tend to think, Jesus died for humans. I'm good. I'm one of them. No, Jesus died for you. He died for you. And at some point in time, you have to respond to that, not just be human. And you have to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. I want to live for you. If you've never had that encounter, I want to help you do that here this morning. But you don't have to stand up. You don't have to come down front. You don't have to do anything weird. You just have to begin a conversation. I'm going to help you do that right now. Would you all join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.